The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the Town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Community Conversations. I'm your host, Roger Colton. Well, we have begun a new school year in, here in the town of Belmont, and at the beginning of, of each school year, one thing we do here at uh, Community Conversations is to invite our school superintendent, John Phelan, to talk about the state of the uh, Belmont schools. So thanks for stopping over, John. I know you've got a busy schedule. Roger, thank you for having me, and I enjoy this conversation every year. Uh, John, before we get started, uh, I, I just want to note that you and I have known each other for, for a while, so so we're friends. Correct. Uh, and uh, uh, I don't want people to think that we're doing this uh, uh, as total strangers. Mm -hmm. uh, so hopefully we can avoid falling into uh, uh, using acronyms and uh, things like that. Uh, if I do, please pull me out of it. And if you do, I'll try to do the same. Thank you. Uh, I the appreciate same it. thing. Uh, before we get started, every year, uh, this is your third year. Uh, S sixth year. Uh, well, third year at doing the state oh, of the correct. schools. Yeah. Um, every year when, when you've come over, I, I've wanted to ask you about your job as the superintendent. Uh, you know, it, it, everybody accepts the notion that whatever decisions are made, uh, you know, it's always done for the, the good of the kids. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like there are two different things that y you, two different ways you could view your job. One is as being the primary administrator for the school system, and one is to be the primary educator. Uh, can you talk about the, the, how those roles uh, interact? Sure. Does I, that did, did that question make sense? It, it really does. It's uh, you know in my role as a superintendent, you get asked, are you an educational leader? Uh, are you someone that is more administrative in nature? Do you yes. spend time in schools? You know, what wh what is your style? Um, and I would have to say that my style can adapt to a lot of those different pieces of the job. I think we have to be fiscally responsible with the taxpayers' money, so that might be in the administrative uh, side of the ledger. Uh, I'm visible in schools two days a week uh, and wanting to make sure that we're uh, in front of the students doing what's best for our students and families. That puts me on the educator, uh, advocating for students uh, side of the ledger. Um, and also trying to, to work with our leadership team who then works with our uh, teachers who work with our children in the classrooms. That, that, that's that leadership model of how much of that is my work to do directly with the teachers or more so to do with our, our leadership team and then the leadership team does that work with our teachers. Um, in the end, my job is to support the classroom, uh, the classroom teacher and the 23 or 24 students in that classroom to ensure that they have what they need to be successful, that they work in a building that has a great culture, uh, that where every child and staff person is known and that they have the tools they need to engage kids at a high level so our outcomes for our students are not only good academically, but also uh, creating uh, good people who graduate from high school. So we do a lot of that, and, and my role um, uh, also has a political lens. I have to work with warrant committees in the, in, in the town level administrators and budget of course. to figure out how I can scaffold the supports 
to be able to lead and support the teachers in the classroom. So it, it, there's a lot of different aspects to the work, and uh, I think different different um, circumstances demur- demand me to use different tools out of that sure. that, that skill set. Okay, Let, let's talk about the state of the Belmont schools as mm-hmm. we start uh, this new school year. Uh, we all know that we're building a new uh, school, mm-hmm. and I think that that, uh, that construction project has been uh, uh, talked over and over uh, again. But my question for you is, it seems like part of the new school here in Belmont is you slash we are really going to restructure Mm-hmm. education uh, in Belmont between who's at the new middle and high school, who's at the new upper school. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what's going on? Or, or are there things going on even at this point? Absolutely. We, we uh, created our leadership team, and Janice Darius and I created a district configuration education plan. And Janice is the uh, curriculum director. She's the assistant superintendent for curriculum and professional development. Okay. And after we, we were successful in getting the vote for the new configuration of the town, which means that we'll have, uh, in 2024, we'll have four uh, primary schools of K to three, grades kindergarten through three, one upper elementary school of grades four, five, and six. And then we'll have that, the new building, which will host a middle school model of 7th and 8th grade students by team, and then a, a 9 through 12 model connected, which makes up our 7 through 12 school. That's a lot of changes, not only in where people go to school, but it's also a lot of changes in the fact that we have instructional models that are impacted by that. Yes. What does a 4, 5, 6 school look like? What does an upper elementary school look like? And how do we want to organize the culture of teaching and learning for those for those grades and for those teachers? And we don't want to start talking about that in 2021 when they enter into the building in 2022 or 23. So we have created, and I or, urge the listeners to go to our website where you can actually pull up the district configuration education plan. And we have a lot of rationale in the first few slides, but ultimately it shows a timeline of all the different committee work that has to happen over the next four years to get ready to reconfigure the district. We are starting now and talking about schedule at the high school, technology use in all schools. What is the vision of teaching and learning for the Belmont Public Schools, and how does that get reflected in our primary school, our upper elementary, our middle and high? So those committees have been identified. There's a timeline of when they meet because it's a sequence of things that have to happen in a certain order. You can't talk about instructional practices until you find out what the vision is that you value and what teaching and learning should look like. So we have the order spelled out for our staff uh, in the community. Um, we have the prioritization of what we think is important, uh, all the way down to what is the vision and what is the culture of each one of those schools. What's the vibe that we want people to feel when they come in? So it's all laid out there for everybody to see. Go on uh, Belmont Public Schools' website, and you can see the plan uh, right there for you. And that you talk about committees. Those are committees of teachers, or uh, I distinguish between staff and faculty. Uh, staff, faculty. So those would be educator-led committees. Okay. Uh, we feel like we had a lot of visioning work leading up to the new building and the vision of the schools between the community, teachers, and students. Uh, and now we want the educators to take that visioning work that's already been done and put it into their own language because they are the ones that are going to have to implement it. So we're trusting our educators, our teachers, to really have the major voice in this. And we're going to set up uh, times where we uh, produce updates for our school committee in the, in the community so they can understand what we're doing and why. And that's where the questions and the answers will come between the community and the educators. And when when I think of all this, uh, one thing I'm hearing too is that people shouldn't start paying attention in 2022, 
21. Uh, there are things that are going on now. Uh, Absolutely. Now is the time to, uh, for parents uh, as well as the educators to be uh, thinking about uh, about their participation, if any, in this process. So we will. We, are, we started the committees last year with our technology and our visioning committee, uh, and we'll work into schedule uh, at the high school soon. Uh, I think our our educators need to get some of that work up and running, and then we'll be presenting it to our to our community and parents as we move along. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we all should start thinking about it early. We we know we have work to do, and that work uh, will be better done by our educators earlier uh, to support the work later. And and it takes the, um, the 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 nervous energy out of out of the collective group of folks. Yeah. Who will, yeah. Why wait? Why have people worry about it? Let's start talking about it in a real methodical way. And also having the map there shows people that we don't have to worry about this issue until next year. So sometimes folks get overwhelmed by all the things that we have to do. Because the issue is so vast. It's so, it's so or large. So bi- yes. But how do you eat an elephant uh, one bite at a time? So yes. we're taking it one bite at a time, that old sure. proverb. And, and I hope that the staff and the community are patient with us, and I'm sure they will be. And I think it's the right way to approach the work. Okay. Let's um, talk about budget for a minute. Uh, even now, people are starting to talk about, or I say even now, but even last spring, mm-hmm. uh, town meeting was being told that we're looking at an override in the, the near future. Uh, what, are, what are the finances uh, like? I assume that you've got your budget for this school year, mm-hmm. so that's set, but how would you characterize the, uh, the finances of the schools at this point? So I sit on the finance, uh, the financial task force number two committee. Uh, the first finance task force uh, committee met several years uh, ago when I first arrived, and we created the um, the information needed to discuss an override. And we were eventually successful, and that override, which we thought would last three years, is now lasting five, and hopefully may last another year. We'll see. Um, but there is a deficit. The, the town has reoccurring expenses and reoccurring revenue. But those reoccurring expenses of all are also paid for by non-reoccurring revenue. So uh-huh. the example of that is, you know, we have about four or so million dollars that we've been able to generate out of stabilization and other things that have a shelf life, and there's no money in that account to go to to uh, maintain our operating budget as a town. So Patrice Garvin and I meet regularly. We had a meeting this morning of the Financial Task Force Two Committee. Uh, we are talking about. Uh, what that gap is, and can we bridge that gap for one more year? Uh-huh. And can that override vote be put off one more year? Uh, but there's no doubt that the town is operating from a fiscal uh, or approaching a fiscal cliff that's that has been anticipated. When we voted the override back in 14, we knew it would last a certain amount of time and that that revenue would no longer support the uh, the expenses of the town. And so here we are. Uh, we, we predicted it. It came true. We're working with the things that we have in place to to get by, and um, as a town, we're probably we're going to have to make some difficult decisions about finances this for fiscal 21 and fiscal 22. And it seems to me, as speaking as a town meeting member, um, that for years and years, it always seemed like the the schools in particular were were on a knife's edge. That uh, mm-hmm. you know everything was going to be okay, assuming that nothing uh, unusual uh, happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't. I don't feel that knife's edge I- mm-hmm. anymore. A- a- am I uh, am I looking at things through 
whatever the cliche is, uh, rose-tinted glasses? Uh, or have we gotten away from that feeling of impending crisis? Uh, I, I think we have gotten away from that impending crisis on a, the last five years, and I'll tell you exactly why. When I arrived, uh, the budget was $750,000 short. In July, I started on July 1st, and on July 17th, I realized that we were $750,000 short, primarily because we were underfunded generically across every aspect of the budget, and um, not to mention the enrollment was going up. But just, just from that moment in time, uh, there was the need to reevaluate how we managed some of the um, volatile points in the budget, mostly around special education, out-of-district placement, transportation, and, and, um, and the uh, services that we provide students that, that were volatile, depending on how many students needed sure. those services. Over the last four years uh, or five years of my tenure, we have developed, along with Tony DeCollegero and the Finance Committee, a three-year rolling plan to ensure that we have enough funds to have the ability to experience the spikes and the downfalls in that budget. So we have actually taken the guidance from the state of Massachusetts that says, you get circuit breaker money that supports those expenses every year from the state. The problem is it's one year behind. The money that you get yes. is really reflective of the data from the previous year. Their recommendation is to hold that money and always try to get ahead of the curve that, you, that you're always one year ahead. So just in case anything bad happens, you have that, that, uh, that account to draw from when any spikes happen. It took us several years to be fiscally responsible and hold and save to now we are at that point. We're following the state guidelines. So we actually have that circuit breaker balance in, in fiscal year 19 that we received, we have it ready for 20 if we need it, and we're always one year ahead. So that nice. So rather than going year to year saying, hopefully we'll get enough money for this year. We, we have enough money for special education right now for next year. Yes. Okay. So, we're all, so it took four years to be disciplined in, in our spending and respectful of the taxpayer's dollar and using that money well. So now we have a three, we have a revolving three-year plan. So we know we're safe in that those volatile budget lines now for the next two years out, we know we're in good shape. So I think that that has kept us off that knife's edge. The knife's edge that we will get on pretty soon is the enrollment continues to go up. October 1 is yesterday. We know we have 73 more students than we had last year, net new to the district. Um, we have to plan for uh, how we're going to accommodate that from a operating budget standpoint as sure. it relates to class size, uh, services that we, we need to provide. Uh, special education, ELL, uh, traditional services, and class sizes. So that's always the cutting edge, but those are the issues that every town goes through. Where we were five years ago was a very bad spot uh, on that knife's edge of the budget really not being adequate and everybody kind of knowing it but trying to get by. We've actually cured that issue uh, with a lot of good planning and work with the school committee. And now, now we're having the traditional issues with more children and we need some more staff. And, and, and that will be a challenge moving forward given the overall town budget. And uh, Senator Brownsberger, Will Brownsberger, has talked recently about, well, it's been in the, uh, the Globe as well, about the state decisions on the new education bill. Mm -hmm. uh, is that something that you're wrapping? Uh, can you count on that at this point? Well, I, I don't count on anything from the state. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, because we, we always plan on what did they give us for the last five years, and we take an average, and we hope that that is what okay. is moving forward. Uh, Senator Brownsberger and Representative Rogers have been truly instrumental in supporting the Belmont schools. Senator Brownsberger had a uh, conference uh, or a night session in Brighton that myself and Patrice Garvin attended to speak on finances. Um, 
the the new uh, budgeting plan for uh, Chapter 70, I have to dig into the details. I, th- I think that something is going to be uh, something will happen at the state level to support Chapter 70. The the underpinnings of what that is 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 going to be more so in support of students uh, who are in in communities that have financial difficulties, uh, which we don't have as many. We're a very fortunate community where most of our families are able to come in with their needs being met at home. Uh, so we'll find out what the net gain is from the work that was happening on, on, um, uh, at the state level. We know that they were focusing on health care, which we all need help with, special education, which we all need help with, uh, ELL services, which again, Belmont needs help with. Uh, Which is English language English learn- language learners. Thank okay. you for keeping me honest. And also <laughs> making sure students in, who are living in poverty have the additional funds needed to bring them up to where they need to be to access the curriculum and get to school safely and, and have what they need to be successful along with their peers across all communities. So that's the equity piece that, that I place a lot of value in, and I really uh, applaud the state for making sure that that population of families and students get that added step to get to where they need to be. Uh, but when I advocate for Belmont, I advocate for the equity of all students first across the state, which I'm, I applaud the state. But I also have to advocate a little bit for Belmont because, you know, we still have middle school students who have study halls. We still have high school students who don't have a class for every single period of their day. Yeah. So there are things that we need to, but uh, do what's right for everybody first, and then we're trying to do what's right for Belmont as well. And if I can try to spit back one of the messages, one of the overarching messages is people shouldn't be thinking that there's going to be this huge new influx of state money that is going to be flowing into uh, the Belmont schools. I just didn't hear you say that. I I don't think there will be a large influx. I think there will be uh, additional funds uh, that will come our way. Uh, but it won't be a windfall. We had a uh, Senator Brownsberger and I spoke at a group of uh, educators in, uh, in Brighton, and the Watertown superintendent was part of that group. Watertown spends over eighteen thousand dollars per child. Belmont spends about thirteen to fourteen thousand dollars per child. So if you count four thousand dollars times the five thousand students that we support, there's a lot of money. That's that, that, there's a differential that's substantial. So we're not going to see that kind of money roll into Belmont from the state. Okay. I'd like to change directions uh, for a minute and look at uh, uh, some of the, the things that I see in the newspaper, uh, both at the, uh, the Boston metropolitan area and locally. Uh, and one of the things that I've seen here in Belmont are letters to the editor uh, about a book uh, in Belmont, a book called uh, uh, The Hate You Give mm-hmm. um, by Angie Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you are you? F- well, you're the superintendent. Of course, you're mm-hmm. familiar with the mm-hmm. book. Are you familiar with the conversations that have been going on? I'm, I'm very familiar. I've had conversations internally with uh, some of the folks who are not happy that we are reading this book. I've had conversations with our director of English language arts, uh, talking about why we thought it was important to have conversations about this book. Uh, and this has been about a three-year conversation. And, and I'm glad you're asking the question uh, we, we had a situation several years ago where students were clamoring for literature that represented what was going on in front of them in the news and in society. And at that time, there was that conversation about how police interacted with youth and, and what that meant and looked like. And they were seeing it on TV when they went home, and it was being talked about amongst themselves. And when that book came out, it addressed some of those themes, as well as some of the themes about students who have to make decisions about how they support their friend and how they, they work within a community 
which are the, the themes that, that are accentuated in the work that we do uh, with that book in our English classes. Uh, it started off as a volunteer book, and the students enjoyed it so much, and the dialogue was rich enough that we actually made it uh, summer reading for uh, freshmen coming into some of our freshmen coming into the high school. Uh-huh. Now, uh, people were really concerned that that was a one-sided view of that whole really complex and delicate conversation about how police work and how our youth see that and, and how society sees that. So we work with our, uh, our own Belmont Police Department. Deputy uh, uh, Chief McIsaac uh, has been very, very uh, in tune with talking to me about the book and offering support, uh, as well as our school resource officer, Melissa O'Connor. And uh, working with them, uh, Chief McIsaac, uh, Deputy Chief McIsaac got a court case, a Supreme Court case that really outlined the essential facts about how the police see these issues. And we had the teachers sit down with Melissa, uh, our school resource officer, and Jamie, our uh, deputy chief. And they dialogue about, the, so we have a richer conversation about both sides of this conversation of what it means to be a police officer in these situations and what does it look like as a, as a, as a young person. And uh, I think it provides a really balanced conversation. And the point I have been making to the folks who call and ask me about it is that I would rather have students' questions answered in a classroom full of our own local police officers and teachers where they can ask sure. hard questions and get you know, a, a, their head around some of these complex issues in an informed way than sitting on the corner getting an iced coffee and talking to their friend, which might not solve the issue and might you know, drag this information differently. So I'm, I'm Or proud. going on to the Internet, and, and, and just, heaven only knows what they're going to see there. I agree. So I think healthy dialogue in our own community, using our own teachers and our own police officers about this very complex conversation, provides students with a real balanced conversation about uh, this delicate situation that, that, that they see in the news every day. So I, I think the balance is important to most folks. Uh, I think some uh, perceptions are that it's because we read the book, it's an unbalanced situation. Um, but what I hear you saying is that the, the discussion in uh, inside the classroom brings in the Belmont police and uh, in the court case that they're using to show that there's yes. a balance to this conversation. And, and everything's not uh, on or off. Yeah. And, and world is very gray and very thick and very complex, and we need to have, help students uh, work through those uh, questions and, and have answers and have good dialogue. And so I think that that's what good literature does, and I think that that's uh, what good teaching and learning does. It helps students understand issues and, and come up with their own uh, idea of what they think is right and wrong and how they want to approach the world and how, uh, how they can wrap their head around these complex issues. So I think the balanced approach is, is appropriate. Um, and I know some folks think it's not a balanced approach, but as your superintendent, I assure you that it's a balanced approach. And what I heard you say, or one of the things I picked up is you talk about the grays. It, mm-hmm. it, it's actually an important lesson for students to learn. And this may be me projecting onto you, so mm-hmm. tell me if it mm-hmm. is. But it's important to teach students that there is gray in the mm-hmm. world, that mm-hmm. these issues that are often presented as black and white uh, uh, that's just not the way the world operates. Yeah, on a lot of levels, and I think that. Uh, I mean, that's that's important to learn. Yeah, I, and for, it's important to keep learning as adults. I think that we're, we're <laughs> we, we we have slowly become in a society where it's uh, uh, this or that, or you, you're either on my side or you're not, or uh, yes. there's a lot of on off. It's it's not binary. It's it's a very much a uh, things are complicated in the life, and we all have to figure them out, and you have to have a good moral compass and think through things and sometimes you need help talking those things out and who to better to talk them out with than your peers and your community and your educational folks and your in this case our police folks and 
and, and become informed young people as they get ready to leave Belmont High. And, uh, and, and those are good lessons that they can apply to a lot of other complex issues that they'll sure. face as young adults as well. Okay. And I would like uh, to talk for a minute about public health. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the city of Boston just uh, uh, banned the sale of vaping uh, paraphernalia, if that's the right word. Mm -hmm. um, and when you and I were growing up, probably, the, it was smoking mm -hmm. uh, at school. Is vaping an issue at, at, in Belmont? It is. Or at Bel I assume it's at Belmont High. Is that naive? Is, does it get into the middle school? Not, not at any, not at any significant le level. Okay, so, so Belmont High is vaping an issue at Belmont High? Last year it kind of peaked. We we saw uh, if this is the nineteen twenty school year, the eighteen nineteen school year, it appeared that there was a lot of activity around students vaping. I think it started the year prior. Uh, the acting principal last year, Tom Brow, who's still with us as an assistant principal. Uh, created a program uh, for students to uh, to be to if they were caught doing it to learn about it to have a consequence a progressive discipline but you know uh, a learning process as opposed to just pun punishment alone and uh, really worked on you know giving kids information about the health hazards of this uh, it does help that the governor has banned the sale of all of these things uh, that right now there's a moratorium on selling products related to vaping uh, we do have a partnership right now with the Belmont Police the Belmont Health Department and the school department where we're having a presentation for parents on vaping on November 21st uh, at Belmont High. Uh, we encourage everybody in the audience to come and go to that. Um, we think that we, we're aware that it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue for students that they're engaged in it. Uh, we're working on deterring it, educating, deterring, and at sometimes providing consequence. Uh, it all uh, in an effort to reduce the amount of uh, vaping that we see amongst our, our teenagers at, at the high school and in the community. And so that very answer, I, I, I guess, really answers one of my questions. It, it's not just a parental issue. I, the schools really have a role to play in, in addressing the pub public health uh, issues involved with it. Uh, with vaping. I think, yeah, we do. I mean, over time, I think the schools have always been the place that communities have counted on to educate students and families on certain issues that uh, that maybe should be happening in the home as well, but we're partnering with the home and partnering with families to, to give information, to provide updates, and, and, uh, and to hold the line as a community together on certain issues. And, you know, whether, you know, we have, we, we uh, did our youth risk behavior survey, which hadn't been done in a few years. We have the results being uh, provided to the public at our uh, first meeting in October in two weeks. Uh, that will let you know what the level of or the percentages are related to Belmont for drinking or smoking or vaping uh, compared to our, our counter uh, or our partner uh, districts in the Middlesex League and across the state. We're working with the Leahy Hospital and we're aggregating that data across the state of Massachusetts. Um, and we partnered with, a, uh, with Wayside, which was a grant that the town of Milton got uh, in their health department. Uh, Lisa Givaleri is the uh, lead in Belmont sure. for that partnership, and we've partnered with her. So uh, we want to make sure that that data gets out there for parents and kids to see. It helps us uh, start to figure out what pathways we want to go down to educate, support, and deter certain behaviors that we don't think are healthy for kids. And can you tell us that uh, that date again? That, that uh, date is October 15th, school committee. Oh, uh, and the date for the uh, uh, public forum? The public forum on vaping is November 21st at Belmont High. Okay. And then uh, we have time for one last question, uh, and that is everybody's talking about traffic. Uh, 
because or around the, the new school. But even setting aside the traffic implications of walking and biking to school, it seems like walking and biking to school, whether it's a high school kid or a middle school kid or an elementary school kid, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, do the schools have a role to, to play in promoting mm-hmm. that? Yeah, the, the schools partner with Safe Routes to School, which is a state agency that supports safe, uh, you know, safety and getting to school, whether, whether it be by biking or walking. They provide a lot of support to districts to do audits about what you, what you could do better, how you could organize your uh, dismissal procedures or your arrival procedures. The Burbank School, I would say, right now is the model. They had a very large parent group that, that has worked over the course of years to really come up with a great plan for this school. Last year, we did an audit at the Winbrook, and we had a series of parents work with within the Safe Routes to School group to help Principal Gina Carey shift her beginning of the day uh, practices and at the end of the day. Uh, the new principal at Wellington um, uh, has engaged new uh, Safe Routes to School. I connected her with the Belmont uh, chapter of Safe Routes to School. Uh, that's, the, that's the vehicle that we're using to provide expertise from outside the, the town along with our experts in town. Uh, we do want to make sure that parents are very, very, and guardians are open to knowing what's the best way if I want to walk to that school from where yeah. I live? What's the best way to bike? Where are the places where there are crosswalks that are safe? Um, I have to say Police Chief uh, McLaughlin has provided uh, crossing guards wherever needed. He has a hard time filling those positions. But we are trying to create pathways for walkers, bikers, and create rules for drivers who drop off and for buses who drop off. We're trying to do that balance of encouraging folks to take the bus because it might make sense safety-wise, but also not wanting to have students all just take the bus because this set it, set it, this this nature of students to not be as active as they should. Uh, walking and biking to sedentary. school, sedentary, thank you, <laughs> uh, is actually a healthy thing. You know, if we can get kids up and moving in the morning, yes, and get them breakfast in the morning, and then have them start the day, there's no better way to start a day than that. So there's a balance of making sure that we have more students getting to school by bike or by walking, making it happen in a safe way, in a, in a very coordinated way. Uh, we've worked with Glenn Clancy and, uh, of, of the community planning with curbing and certain aspects of uh, how, how our streets work uh, to make it safe, and, uh, and as well as the police. So we're, we're working on it, and it's really important. This is a four-square-mile town. A lot of our students can actually walk and bike to school if we can provide them safe pathways. I... I I recently read some research that actually some kids walking or biking it helps educationally because if the, when they're at school if they don't really know where they are relative to where their house is mm-hmm. which they don't learn when they ride in the, mm-hmm. the can of a car mm-hmm. they they don't focus uh, or they can't focus as well but if they walk or bike and they know uh, how to get home and mm-hmm that uh, that actually helps their education. That, that's does, does that ring true? I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know the study, but I can say what does ring true is that if you're active in the morning and you have something good to eat, then you're, you're much better prepared to learn that if you were driven to school and didn't have breakfast. So this walking safely fits into our overall wellness of wanting to make sure kids are active, that they have good nutritious food, and they're ready for school every day. Uh, walking and biking to school is very much... Uh, uh, something that the school would uh, value and the school department values. That's great. We're out of time. Thanks, John, for coming over. It's always a delight to have uh, to have you here. Uh, Roger, uh, thank you for having me every year, and I look forward to, to, to visiting again. 
Uh, we've been speaking with uh, the Belmont School Superintendent, John Phelan, about the state of the Belmont schools here at the beginning of the 2019-2020 school year. You've been listening to Conversations. I'd like to thank you for uh, tuning us in. You can access Community Conversations online by streaming it through the Belmont Media website, belmontmedia.org. You can also find Community Conversations on iTunes by searching for the BMC Podcast Network. You've been listening to Community Conversations. I'm your host, Roger Colton. I will talk to you again next time.